Hello, you're listening to Home Talk with Greg McKim on Tuesday, May 28th, 2019. If you're listening on a different date, this show is being rebroadcast. Hi, I'm your host, Greg McKim. And today, well, first of all, let me tell you a little bit about the show in case you never tuned in before. On this show, we talk about just about anything related to or owning a home, buying, selling, financing, insurance, maintenance, remodeling, new construction, rental properties, flipping properties, single-family homes, condos, townhomes. If it's related to a home, we talk about it. So how can I talk about all those things? Well, I'm not an expert in every field, but I have quite a bit of experience. I started swinging a hammer and building houses back in the 1970s. I've been in the mortgage business since 1991. I've been a real estate biz. I've been a real estate broker since 2009. I have a background in financial planning, and all of those experiences help me help my clients. But again, I'm not an expert in everything. So now and then, I bring other people in on the show who are experts. Today, it's just me and my illustrious producer, Eric. Say hi, Eric. Hey, good afternoon, Greg. Good to see you. Thank you. I might be having a little back and forth with you today because I get lonely here at the microphone all by myself. <laughs> sure, sure. So um, what are we going to talk about today? Oh, bef- by, by the way, before I continue, we air each day here on 1150 AM KKNW from 3 to 4. Each Tuesday. Did I say every day? You said each day. So. Each day? Yeah. Yeah. Well, it isn't each day. It's every Tuesday. It's, see, it's a good thing That's Eric's right. here. <laughs> So um, you can call in during the show at 425-373-5527. Off air, you can reach me on my mobile, 206-250-6545. Again, that's 206-250-6545. You can reach me at my email at gmckim, that's G-M-C-K-I-M, at loanzilla.com, or visit loanzilla.com. That's the mortgage company I work for. Incidentally, my loan origination license number, I have to tell you this by law, is 106202, and the Loanzilla mortgage license is 67412, just in case you want to check up on us. You can also listen to this or prior shows by podcast at 1150kknw. Dot com under audio archives. So what are we going to talk about today, my loyal listeners? Interest rates I usually talk about briefly. Not a lot to share on that. It hasn't They haven't changed much at all in the last couple of weeks. I would say there's slight downward pressure because of the continuing and potentially escalating trade wars, and that will cause potentially economic slowdowns. And if you've listened to me before or you know this, Economic slowdowns cause interest rates to drop. And so that's about it on interest rates. As far as the home market, hasn't changed a lot either in the last couple of weeks. I would say that we're in a pretty much a holding pattern, and, it, and there's pockets of bidding wars, and then there's areas where you don't need to get in bidding wars. And in fact, I just got into contract with one of my buyers on Sunday for a home in Lake Stevens, really nice home. It's built by D.R. Horton, 2,700 square foot, four bedroom. It had been on the market for 60 days with no offers. And it was priced, it started out at 515. They dropped it to uh, 480, and we're getting it, oh, excuse me, they dropped it to 490, and we're getting it for 485. So no competition, no bidding war, and we got to keep all of our contingency. So there's an example. But up in that same area, I've seen some homes because I had two buyers looking in that general area uh, where there have been bidding wars. It's hit and miss, and it's hard to say exactly why one house, which is priced competitively, goes over another one. Now, you might say, well, it's obvious. It's condition. That's right. I'm talking about homes that are very similar, similar in condition, age, quality, location. I would say on this one, maybe the main reason is because the backyard was a little small. But other than that, Everything else about the house is great. So there you go. Now, as you know, if you've listened to the show before, and if not, and you're new to the show, I do like to bring up what I think are newsworthy topics, and I will refer to other people who have written these articles, and, of course, I will cite who they are. The first one I want to touch on today 
is in the Seattle Times business section today, May 28th. It's on the first page of the business section, which is page A5, and it's titled Antitrust Probe to Focus on Brokers. And written by a David McLaughlin and a Patrick Clark of Bloomberg. We have a call coming in? Well, I'm going to stop for a second, come back to that, and take our call. And who, may I ask, do we have the pleasure of speaking? We've got Beth on the line. Hi, Beth. Oh, hi. How are you doing? Good. How are you? Um, I'm doing great. I was thinking, okay, um, two things I've heard in the news recently um, are outside of King County. I've heard that the hottest market right now is Tacoma or North and Snohomish County because of the new airport. Mm. Have you got well, any? Those, those are a little bit outside my area. I don't work, although I just mentioned on the air a minute ago that I have a, a buyer in contract in Lake Stevens, which would be, you know, that's part of that area. Then I have another buyer in contract in Mill Creek. Um, we, we did not compete on either of those homes. The, the Lake Stevens home I was on the market 60 days. Um, they had the price. No they start at five fifteen, dropped it to four ninety. We got it for forty five, and the other one was on the market. I don't know, thirty days. We got it without competing. All beautiful, new, newer homes, perfect condition, nothing wrong with them. So it's hard to say. Now, as a general rule, when you look at the stats, Beth, yeah, that's what's happening. In fact, there's an article in the Seattle Times today, um, which I'm going to talk about how people are even moving out of Seattle and other expensive area, areas like Silicon Valley and going to places, for instance, Utah, because they just can't afford those anymore. And in, this, in King County, housing prices, even though they've dropped month over month for the year consistently, starting since May of 18, there are certain pockets in the outlying areas that have held their own or actually gone up a little. And that is because of affordability. But those two instances I just gave you are, are um, I don't know, what what's the word you use when they... They're exceptions to the rule, I guess. Yeah. But yeah, and both the both the homes were priced priced fair. Yeah. They weren't out of the, they weren't unreasonably priced, but they we didn't compete and we got we got what we wanted. But yeah, you're accurate about that. The outlying areas are are because again affordability. I mean, I think about it. I think about selling my townhome in Bellevue and moving to someplace else because I I work from my house. I don't need to worry about the commute that much. Yeah. So I think about it. I've got three other callers coming in. Okay. Oh, I guess not. I guess they're all fake caller, phantom callers, because Eric just gave me a wave. <laughs> wave on, Eric. Wave I don't know. On. I don't know how a phantom call happens, but you know, he. I guess either that or he's going to talk to him and put him on hold or something. I'm not quite sure what producers do. All I know is he's over there twisting dials and pushing buttons and giving me dirty looks when I say the bad things. And <laughs> now he's smiling. Now, so those weren't real calls. No, they they weren't for the show. Oh, they're for something else. Okay, your mom, your your, your your wife's calling and telling you don't forget the milk. <laughs> oh, you're not married. Spam calls. <laughs> oh, really, spam yeah. calls. Yeah. Oh wow. Okay. So Are she wants she wants calls there at the station. Robo calls. It happens sometimes. <laughs> so Beth, anything else you want to talk about? Um, no, that was that was just my. I I mean, I'm just thinking like, okay, you could get a beautiful home down in the Tacoma area. That's right. For a lot, a lot less. And, yeah. and like I said, why wouldn't people want to telecommute? No, I, I mean, if you want to telecommute, obviously, if you've got a commute commute, it's, a, it's, not, it's difficult. I commute from Tacoma, and I love it. Well, well I don't love well, the long drive, but uh, I love living in Tacoma. <laughs> well, one of my friends who I've known for 20 years, mm -hmm. just he sold his house a year ago in Pro the Proctor area. Oh, that's where I live now. It's beautiful. Absolutely. He sold it. Then he lived because there was a studio ADU, a, a, a assisted, what, what is it called? Accessory dwelling unit on the property. He yeah. just moved to Ecuador to retire. But oh, wow. I go down and visit him, and we go to... Um, now, that's a heck of a commute. Yeah. But <laughs> 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 well, we'd go eat... We'd, that's a good one. I like it. <laughs> Need to have him on for comic relief more often. So he, um, we would go down and meet periodically and eat at Cook's, Cook's Tavern down there. Oh, yeah, great place. Yeah. And I, I walk around that Proctor neighborhood, and I think, this is cool down here. It's a great neighborhood. Yeah. yeah. Now, did you grow up in Tacoma? Uh, me or Beth? You. Uh, Eric, <laughs> me. You, yeah. uh, I, I've lived there for a while. I didn't grow up as a kid there, but yeah. uh, lived there for about 20 years now. Did so. you grow up in this area, the, the greater Seattle area? Actually grew up in California. Okay. Mm -hmm. The reason oh, I ask really? is when we were we were kids growing up, Tacoma is where all the, you know, the pulp mills were. Everett, where all the, there were pulp mills. Yeah. So those Things places, have changed we didn't live there because it's, it, wasn't, it, it smelled bad. 
It used to, yeah. Yeah. So, of course, anybody who's listening to me that lives in Everett Tacoma right now is mad because I'm bringing this up. But it's changed a lot. In fact, as I'm up there in the Mill Creek, Lake Stevens area the last couple of weeks looking at houses, I like it up there, too. It's, there's oh, some beautiful. really great neighborhoods, and there's some great areas. In fact, there's a little strip along the, the, the sound on Everett that's kind of like Proctor, where it's just old, beautiful homes, mm-hmm. and it's, you know— the, the large, mature trees that reach over the... I love that. I love that. It's like... And the bricky-bricky. I like... I don't know. I grew up on Bashman, Eric, by the way. So if you're in the Tacoma area... Sure. Um, take the ferry to, over to Tahlequah and, you know, do a bike ride around the island. It's beautiful. I've had plans um, to do that for a long time and I haven't got to it yet, but I definitely want to. <laughs> well, ask Greg. Um, he'll get my phone number. You can get my phone number and I'll give you all the tips on where to go on the island. Because there's a, a five-star Thai restaurant there. They actually pay your ferry fare. Oh, wow. Five-star yeah. in, in that it's five-star rated, like Michelin sort of stars? Exactly. Oh. It's, it oh. was the number one rated restaurant. Are we on the air right now? We are on the air, but these, yeah. are, these are great tips. <laughs> okay, well, so it's the number one res- rated Thai restaurant last year. I'm not sure how it made it what, this in, year. In what, in the, in the world or what? In the United States. No way. From what I understand. I have not eaten there, but I have friends who have. What's the name of it? Awesome. I don't know. Okay, Just so it's, it's, is it down the Burton Island. area? Burton, or where is it? What part of the island? It's in the downtown area. Burton, down? Yeah, so it'd be more what we call it. We call it Uptown. That's downtown Vashon, Uptown Thai Restaurant. Okay, well, whatever this restaurant is, we're giving you a shout out and a plug on the air right now. W- would this be a um, shameless plug? <laughs> yeah. Would this be May Kitchen and Bar? Yep, that would be. How it. do you pr- how do you spell M I M A Y M A Y like the month? May Kitchen and Bar. Okay, yeah, May uh, Kitchen and Bar. You just got plugged on my show. <laughs> I hope to get some business from it. You're gonna get the home talk bump. That's right. The hope. Be be ready. Better have <laughs> exactly. some more staff on tonight. And then the thing is, um, if you make a reservation online, this is what I understand works, how it works. They will credit the amount of your ferry fare towards your bill. Really? And the ferry fare is not cheap. I mean, unfortunately. How can they make a profit doing that? Oh, you've never worked in restaurants. <laughs> well, I know, but I mean, overhead's expensive. I mean, everybody says, oh, it's, you know, food costs, but oh, it's, it costs a lot of money to run a restaurant. I have a friend that does owns one. It's, yeah, but yeah. if you look at the fact that, like, if, you know, like two couples come over okay, in sure. one car. Yeah, that's true. So, yeah, so it's only, they, yeah, I got it. Okay. Yeah. So, that's anyway. Sold. <laughs> Sold. <laughs> I know what I'm doing next weekend. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Grab your bike and ride up to May. Um, okay, or, so anything else you want not. to talk about? Talk chatty, chatty Bethy? <laughs> Sorry, Chatty Greg. Um, no, I'm going to get on with my day, but thank you for... Um, giving me a little of the direction on the Tacoma market versus the Snohomish market versus King County. Okay. We should probably tell this. There's full disclosure. Away. Beth and I have known each other for, what, 22, 25 years? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> yeah. So we were all longtime friends, and it's nice of her to call in. But those are legitimate questions. And, Beth, you used to be what? I used to be a real estate agent. You used to be a real estate agent. Yeah. Yes. I was Beth. So why don't we plug what you're doing now? Why don't you tell the audience what you're doing now? It's kind of cool. Okay, so if anybody out there is working on any kind of fundraiser, um, nonprofit sort of thing, um, what I do is I develop exotic travel packages and experiences to auction off at these fundraisers. So if you're looking for something cool, give me give me event. give me two examples. Give me an example of an auction that you would be involved in. Give me an example of one of your exotic adventures. Okay, um, I work with foundations, large and small, uh, American Cancer Society, down to the little community church or school. All right. Um, everybody has fundraisers. The packages that I have range anywhere from a magnificent castle in Kentucky um, to the island of Zanzibar. The and island of Zanzibar. And what's there? Do you just do you just like give them a tent and a, and, a, and a, some in a can of, of beans <laughs> or what? What is there on the island of Zanzibar that they they get to experience? Everything is is five star. I've been to all of the properties that I give to the auctions, and yeah, it's. Um, so what you're telling me is like this island of Zanzibar. There's a, there's a full resort lodge there with pool and and and, and air conditioning, actually, the whole thing, right? The Zanzibar um, package 
is the accommodations are an ancient Chinese doctor's house that they took and converted into a 30-room hotel. Um, total five-star food, you know, the pool on the Indian Ocean. Now, when you say ancient, I like think of Zanzibar. So tell me, I thought Zanzibar was off the coast of Africa. It is. Oh, is it, it's an island off the coast? Okay, in the Indian Ocean. Mm-hmm. And the Chinese Chinese doctor got all the way over there and built a house in the 1600s. <laughs> Apparently so. <laughs> wow. Okay. So that home's uh, been converted into a motel, a hotel. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you don't hotel. drive there. It's a hotel. Okay. So, yeah. uh, so just so the audience understands it. So what you do is the the, the, the hotel Zanzibar. I like that name, Hotel Zanzibar. Don't tell me a different name because I like that one. They okay. they promote themselves by having you go to the auctions, and what they're doing is they're donating a package that people will pay for, so that's a promotion for them, right? But mm-hmm. the, per- the person at the auction, say the American Cancer Society, pays for that package, and then the, all the fun, the, the, the uh, proceeds go to the charity, right? Um, not all the proceeds, no. There's well, a, um, well, some. a modest reserve price on the back end if it sells. That reserve price goes back to the property. Okay, so, got it. All right, so yeah. anyways, bottom line, that, that that's the gist of it. Why don't you um, go ahead and give your phone number and, and website right now in case anybody out there is listening who wants to do a fundraiser, has a charity auction coming up, and your name and, and website and phone number. And then, then I'll make okay. you pay, I'll make you make me, I'll make you make me dinner in the near future for that. <laughs> okay, promise not to burn it. Okay. Um, so, okay, my name is Beth. My last name is Hinkson, H-I-N as a Nancy K-S-O-N. And the company is Auction Shakeup, so A-U-C-T-I-O-N-S-H-A-K-E-U-P.com is the website. Auctionshakeup.com, okay, and your phone? Phone number 425-891-5800. And that's 425-891-5800, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember that even. That's amazing. I usually just punch Beth <laughs> on my phone. Well, that's yeah, great. I'm glad you called so, in. Made for an interesting well, conversation, didn't it, Eric? As opposed to my regular stuff about rates and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's so Eric, much I'll area to cover. Eric, with, with everything on Vashon if you need me. <laughs> yeah, she's Very a Vashon cool. expert. And my, and my kitchen and bar. I hope that they're ready for the onslaught of new clients tonight, new 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 exactly. diners. They have no idea what's coming. They have no idea what's coming. That's right. Okay. <laughs> well, this is a good time to go to a break. Beth, thanks again for calling in. Really appreciate it. And I hope you hope you get a couple of calls in. So uh, we are now going to take a break, go to some messages. You're listening to Home Talk with Greg McKim, the show that covers home ownership from soup to nuts. And when you get when we get back, I'd like a caller to if they could no fair googling, googling ch- cheating. Call in and tell me what soup where the, the, the term soup to nuts came from because Eric's dying to know. We air each Tuesday from three to four. Here on 1150 AM you can call in the show at 425-373-5527. We'll be right back after these messages. Don't go away. The Seattle International Film Festival returns for the 45th year from May 16th through June 9th with over 400 features, short films, and documentaries gathered from more than 80 countries, making the festival an amazing place to discover and celebrate new work from around the world. Meet filmmakers and stars, attend galas and parties, and participate in forums and panels during the largest and most highly attended film festival in the United States. Visit SIF.net for the complete lineup multicultural multi-dimensional even alternative talk 1150 welcome back to home talk with greg mckim i'm your host greg this is the show that covers home ownership from a to z each tuesday at three to four here on 1150 am kknw you can call in during the show at 425-373-5527 or reach me off air on my cell at 206-250-6545. Again, that's 206-250-6545. Or email me at gmckim at lonezilla.com. That's G-M-C-K-I-M at lonezilla, L-O-A-N-Z-I-L-L-A.com. 
Or you can listen to this or prior shows by podcast at 1150kknw.com under audio archives. So before the break, we were talking to one of our callers who had called in and was giving us um, restaurant recommendations. There's a restaurant on uh, Vashon Island she claims is the number one rated Thai restaurant in the United States. We also talked about her business, which is called Auction Shakeup. If you want to re- research that more, that's auctionshakeup.com. And I was just about to get into, before Beth called, some of the news articles that I, 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 I've read this week. One being in the Seattle Times on the business front page of the business section today, um, page A5. I find this one rather interesting. And it was written by David McLaughlin and Patrick Clark of Bloomberg Press. It's titled Antitrust Probe to Focus on Brokers. So here's the gist of it. The U.S. antitrust officials are investigating potentially anti-competitive practices in the residential real estate brokerage business, which I'm in, with a focus on compensation to brokers and restrictions on their access to listings. The probe was, was, was detailed in a civil investigation which is akin to a subpoena issued by a Justice Department to CoreLogic, Inc. And CoreLogic is a company that provides real estate data to government agencies, lenders, and other housing market participants. And aside from me on that, I use CoreLogic for a number of things. For instance, CoreLogic in the mortgage business has a credit reporting service that we use. There's many different ways to access credit reports and CoreLogic has one of those services where they blend all three credit bureaus into a report that's acceptable to lenders. And as a mortgage, excuse me, as a real estate broker, I have access to their automated value model. And what that is, is it's, it's a way to estimate what a home is worth without an appraisal. You've probably heard the most popular one out there is Zillow. They simply use mathematical formulas and algorithms to come up with what they think the model is. So as a real estate broker, as I'm trying to help somebody determine what to list their house price for, their house for or what to buy it for, I do lots of research and I use some data points including Zillow, another one called eAppraisal, and I use the CoreLogic data automated value model and I use a couple others. By the way, those things can be off by tens of you can have a Zillow one that comes in at 450, a CoreLogic at 400 and an eAppraisal at 5. So they're all over the place. There's some things that are hard for um, algorithms to calculate. So what's what's the gist of this? The gist of this antitrust probe is that real estate brokers, as an industry, fight to keep commissions at a high level. Now, this has been an ongoing question and perhaps challenge ever since I got in the mortgage business in 1991. In the mortgage business, I'm used to people beating me up on rates and fees. That's part of the deal. When anybody calls you, very few people aren't shopping for a loan. Not everybody is, but most people are shopping. And so it's just part of our experience. We always are talking to people about and being compared. The real estate industry hasn't had that same, didn't have that same sort of, I guess, what's the word I'm looking for? Competitive nature until maybe the 1990s. There was a little bit of it. But what I experienced before I became a real estate broker is I would watch consumers shop for mortgages, and then I would ask them, did you shop for a real estate broker? And they'd look at me with a total blank expression. They didn't even know that that was something that could be done. The real estate industry was so effective up until maybe the 90s at not even even sharing or or communicating how their fee structure worked to the consumer that consumers didn't even know they could shop for it. Now, that's the, that was, I would say, the vast majority. There's always, there's always an exception to that. There's somebody that was smart and knew it. Now, as the 90s came along and there's more and more access to the multiple listing database for consumers directly, this has changed. And there's pros and cons of this, but overall, I think it's very much a benefit for, for consumers to have direct access to the multiple listing service on their own. Uh, and, and, and their main reason for it is because of transparency and the ability to drive down commissions. One of the reasons that the real estate industry was so effective for a long time at keeping their commissions, well, there's two main reasons. Keeping their, <laughs> okay, I'm not thinking this through. There's three reasons. Maybe there's five. Okay, let's talk with two, three that I'm thinking of. One, consumers, there was a, there was a gatekeeper. 
consumers didn't have good access to the data unless they went through a real estate broker who said, this is what I'm going to charge it, even, even to show you houses or, or, or show you any of the data. That changed as the information became available for consumers. Consumers could look for the information and then talk to different real estate brokers about what, what, do you, what do you charge, even though that wasn't really very prominent, but it started to happen. Two is that most real estate brokers who work for big firms are restricted by the firms as to what they can charge. They had to get exceptions. They couldn't charge what they felt like charging because the firm dictated and established what that was. And you had to go into your branch manager or owner and get permission to drop fees or negotiate commissions. And then there was the last one. Oh, last one's greed. <laughs> I guess maybe you make that number one. If you can keep your fees high, why would you drop them? Now think about this for a second. My mom got in real estate in the 1961 or 62. There was no cell phone that I was aware of. There was no multiple listing service online. Every week they'd publish this book about two inches thick, give it to you. You had to sign it out, sign it back in. If you didn't sign it back in, you might lose your license or at least lose your you know, ability to work for the company. Um, it was just extraordinarily hard work. And each, each real estate broker would get 3% of the transaction. Whoever listed the property, who represents the seller, get 3%. Whoever brought the buyer in, got 3%. And let's just pretend back in 1960 that a home that you'd live in today, a three-bedroom, 2,500-square-foot home, cost 50 grand, uh, 20 grand maybe, okay? And so, and, and adjusted for inflation, but my, you know, my mom back then was making what, how much is, what is, what is 3% of 20 grand? 600 bucks. <laughs> a lot of work. A lot of driving around because you couldn't look at the properties online. All right, fast forward. I got in the business in 91 as a, as a mortgage broker. And home price, I think the median home price in Seattle area, greater Seattle is 180. Commissions are still 6%. Now, I don't have the numbers in front of me right now, but I've run them before. Adjusted for inflation, 3% commission for whoever sold or the house, either side, on, let's say, say 200000 is a lot more adjusted for inflation than what my mom was making. Now, fast forward to today. A lot less work for the real estate broker to do because the client can go online and look at homes and, 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 and say yes or no. There's so much automation compared to what it used to be. For instance, you used to have to write a contract by hand drive back and forth, get original signatures. There was no such thing as a fax machine. There was no such thing as email. There was no such thing as e-signing. The, the amount of work that a real estate broker has to do today is vastly reduced, but home prices have skyrocketed. So why should, why should consumers continue to pay 3%? In my, in my mind, it's ludicrous. And my, I negotiate my commissions with every one of my clients based on what my client and I think are fair. And it's because it's every situation is different. My clients that come into me that are past clients, I always give them a better deal. If a client comes in and wants me to do unbelievable amounts of work on a very difficult transaction, I might charge a different commission than somebody says, I found a house, I want to make an offer on it. Well, I have way less work to do. As a consumer, wh what are you paying for? You're paying for two things. You're paying for something anybody could do. Anybody can drive you to a house, open it up, and walk you through it. Pretty much. Anybody can send you a list of, of, of homes to look at. What, what you really want to pay, you don't want to pay somebody for that time. You want to pay for somebody for expertise and experience. Those things are valuable, and that's what you should be paying for. And so if, as a real estate broker, if I can reduce the amount of grunt work, I call it, that I do, the amount of driving around and just showing you things that you can do on your own, why wouldn't I reduce my commission? Now, you, on the other hand, may want to pay for my expertise and experience depending upon your own level of sophistication, own level, not level, level of sophistication, and that's negotiable every time based on the circumstances. So back to the news story, off, off on that little tangent for a second. So how could it be, how could the real estate industry prevent or, or limit the amount of negotiation or the accessibility of, of information and the things that this, this article is, in, is implying. I don't have any firsthand experiences. I just have some, I, some ideas based on talking around. Um, for instance, one of, one, of the, one of the easiest ways to do it was when you're working with a buyer. Most buyers don't even know how the real estate broker gets paid. So if you're a buyer and you're buying a house, the listing party or excuse me, the, the seller is paying a commission, say, let's just use 
because it's been standard, but it's been dropped lately, but 6%. I said earlier, 3% of that's going to the office who sells, who's, who represents the seller. It's called the listing broker or the listing firm. The other 3% or the remainder goes to the selling broker who represents the buyer. Okay? Sellers get that because they, they sign a contract that says, I'm paying 6% of my house. So if my house sells for 500, I'm paying 30 grand. Buyers, you'd be surprised how many buyers, especially new buyers, and, I, and, and they don't even ask me the question how I get paid. So I always bring it up. I want them to know because I just think it's fair. But every once in a while they'll ask me, and they don't, the ones that haven't ever bought a home before, they don't have a clue. So it gets purposely, in my opinion, it gets purposely, not, it's not discussed by the industry. Now, that's anecdotal. I don't have any evidence to prove it. Another anecdotal thing is I remember when some of the for sale by owner and other discount real estate brokers starting to come into the market, late 90s, early 2000s, and the real estate industry would badmouth them. They would not show homes that these companies had listed. I bet you that's kind of the kind of thing that they're going after in this antitrust probe. The antitrust probe article doesn't specifically discuss what some of the concerns are or why this this antitrust probe has been opened. Of course, the um, real estate industry objects, and, and they they are asking to have this dismissed. So it'll be it'll be a fascinating to watch this unfold. My gut feeling is that it, that that type of 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 antitrust still does go on, that, that there are communities of brokers and that, that, that are in real estate firms that really try hard not to um, reduce their commissions. But I would also say that it's way different than it was 20 years ago. A lot, there's a lot more information accessible to the consumer than it used to be, and there's a lot more discounting going on. In fact, I asked, and I'm going to do a little bit more asking, I asked one of the escrow companies I deal with recently how many um, of the transactions they see come through that are discounted? They said 50%. Now, that's just one person telling me. I, I'm thinking about actually doing a poll, but that's, that sounds about right to me. And that, that means that the listing side and the... Now, what you find is that typically it's the listing of the property that gets discounted. How do I, how do I know that? Because as I, when I'm helping buyers buy homes, I would say 90% of them have a 3% commission going to the selling firm. The selling firm is the person who brings in the buyer. So I would say that most, but many of those firms are giving some of that commission back to the buyer in the form of credits towards their closing costs, which you probably have heard of Redfin. That was one of the things they started doing about 15, whenever they got on the came in the market 10, 15 years ago. They really started pushing this idea of giving part of the selling office commission back to the buyer at closing to pay some of their closing costs. Now, one of the challenges Redfin had, and I used to argue with them about this all the time because I'm in the mortgage business, they were giving people the money in the form of cash outside of closing, and that's loan fraud. I argued with them about it. They've stopped doing that, by the way, to my knowledge, because I think that they became aware of it. What I don't understand is why nobody got in trouble. Now, here's the reason it's loan fraud. And I'm not saying that Redfin was committing loan fraud, but that action, if they were doing it, and I happen to know they were, is or can be interpreted as loan fraud. Here's why. When you sign loan documents and loan papers, you sign something that says that you're not receiving any money or any other sort of compensation from any party to the transaction that the lender is not aware of. And that's because, let's for instance, let's just, here's why. Because people used to do all kinds of shenanigans. Seller would list the house for, you know, 400 and the buyer would come in and say, I don't have enough money for down payment. So I'd say, okay, let's, I'll sell it to you for four or five. And after closing, I'll give you 5,000 bucks. So basically, you, they're basically giving the person the money towards the down payment. Well, lenders, <laughs> that doesn't work for their risk assessment, right? Their down payment percentage is part of their risk formulation. So what lenders have allowed over the years is they'll allow parties to the transaction, that would be the seller, any of the real estate brokers, to pay identifiable third-party acceptable closing costs, title, appraisal, loan fees, um, taxes, insurance, up to a certain percentage of the, of the, of the um, purchase price. Well, Redfin was doing that and then giving any excess to the buyer outside of closing in cash. If you're working with any real estate broker, I don't care who it is, Redfin or XYZ Mortgage Broker, and they, and they, they suggest doing that, you are, now both com- you are now both committing loan fraud because you are now exchanging some sort of compensation, and you're going to tell the lender you're not doing that. 
And here is the penalty for loan fraud, just you, in case you want to know. Maximum 30 years in jail, maximum $1 million fine, which is pretty substantial. I would, I would say that the chances of getting caught are pretty slim, <laughs> but who cares? First of all, it's unethical. Second, if you did get caught, the odds are, are I mean, the, the, the penalties are, are very severe. So I rambled a little bit there. Sorry about that. What I was getting at is that over the years, certain firms have come along like Redfin. And by the way, I like a lot of things that Redfin does. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not denigrating them. I'm not, I'm not um, trying to diminish their value to the consumer. I think they've done a lot of good things to the industry by driving costs down. They have a good, a good business model. It has some, it has some strengths and weaknesses. But the real estate industry, when I, when, when Redfin first came out, f- tried to, tr- tried literally tried to fight them and tried to not let them operate based on that business model. Now, I don't have any firsthand evidence of that. I just remember anecdotal stories on that, too. So if anybody wants to question me or challenge me on that, feel free to do it, and I'll go do my research. But I remember cases where the industry was not showing homes that Redfin had listed because they didn't want to, they wanted to not, they didn't want to help them, and they would be dismissive of the Redfin agent's ability to work and do their job professionally, which I think is unfair. But that's the kind of thing that perhaps the antitrust probe's looking into. I don't know. All right, we're going to go to another break, and then we'll get off that topic and come back to some other news stories, and I'll be a little bit more, a little bit briefer. Okay, so you're listening to Home Talk with Greg McKim, the show that covers home ownership to the moon and back again, not and soup to nuts. <laughs> we air each Tuesday from three to four on 11:50 a.m. KKNW. We'll be right back after these messages. Don't go away. Time to lace up your shoes for the 2019 Komen Puget Sound More Than Pink Walk. Help raise funds for breast cancer treatment, patient advocacy, and life-saving research. The walk starts at Seattle Seward Park on June 2nd. This inspiring, family-friendly event brings together those of all ages and abilities. Come on out and show your support for those battling breast cancer and those searching for cures. Register today at ComenPugetSound.org. That's ComenPugetSound.org. 180 over 111, and I had a stroke. I couldn't speak or walk. 150 over 90, and I had a stroke. This is what high blood pressure sounds like. You might not feel its symptoms, but the results from a stroke are far from silent. Get back on your treatment plan or talk with your doctor to create a plan that works for you. Go to loweryourhpp.org. I had to tell everything's changed. Brought to you by the American Stroke Association, American Medical Association, and the Ad Council. Wherever you go, Alternative Talk 1150 is here for you. Welcome back to Home Talk with Greg McKim. That's me, your host. This is the show that covers home ownership from soup to nuts. I keep waiting for a caller to come in and explain to me and Eric, my producer, where that saying came from. And again, you can't check Google. Or if you do check Google, that's fine. Just tell us you did so we don't think that you're all-knowing and all-seeing. All so we air each Tuesday from 3 to 4 on 11.50 a.m. KKNW. The phone to call in during the show is 425-373-5527. Again, 425-373-5527. Don't be shy. If there's anything that I say in the show that you're intrigued by, or if you disagree with, I love people that disagree with me or come in with something that I'm not aware of or teach me where I'm wrong. Please feel free to call. You can reach me off air on my cell at 206-250-6545 or email me at gmckim at lonezilla.com. That's G-M-C-K-I-M at lonezilla.com. Or listen to this show or prior at podcast on podcast at 1150kknw.com, 1150kknw.com. So I'm going to get off that thing about the antitrust probe. Um, let me, I'm not going to talk about any, new, any more news stories. I brought a lot in, but I got off on a real roll on that one. So I'm going to talk about some what I call um, real estate myths and tips. I may have covered these in some other shows. I don't remember, but here's one of the real estate myths that kind of gets to me. Real estate brokers forever have said you, it's always better to own versus rent. You should own a home versus rent at home. And uh, my answer to that has always been, it depends. And the other, one of the main reasons they say was, look, you get to write off the interest. Most homeowners don't have enough interest. By the way, you get to write off the interest. 
and the real estate property taxes. Most homeowners have about enough interest in property taxes to just barely exceed their standard deduction anyway. The standard deduction went up with this new tax bills that went through last year. So the standard deduction went up, I think, and I don't have it in front of me, for a couple in 2018. I think that standard deduction is like 20 grand. So let's just say your interest is 19 grand. You don't get to write off any interest. Why? Because you already have a $20,000 deduction. You don't get to write it off. You don't get to take 20 plus 19. You get to do whatever exceeds your standard deduction. That's called itemization. An itemization is a Schedule A in your tax return. An itemization is what you use if your taxable deductions exceed your standard deduction of, again, roughly 22000 Anybody want to call in and tell me exact number? I don't. That's fine. But it's roughly twenty. So you get to write off things like medical expenses that exceed 5% of your income, charitable donations up to a certain limit, property taxes. Okay, well, if those things don't exceed 20000 there's no benefit. And I find that most people who are buying a home barely exceed that. Now, once you exceed it, then you get to write off whatever, let's just say you get to write off 5000 Well, keep in mind, you don't get 5000 in your pocket. You get to reduce your taxable income by 5000 And if your tax bracket, say, 25%, then you just... 25% of 5000 that means you made 1250 bucks. Does that make sense to you, Eric, when I said that? Makes sense. Shaking his head, yes. Okay. So it's overblown, overstated. Look at it carefully. If you, were to, if you were to do this from a financial planning perspective, and I used to be a certified investment, registered investment advisor. I was not a certified financial planner. I was a re- registered investment advisor. And do a side-by-side. If you're paying 2000 in rent, and you're going to buy a home and make a payment of 2000 I could argue you're better off renting because of the costs involved in owning a home and getting in and out of a house. By the way, I'm only talking about the financial side of a home right now. There's other reasons to own a home. Pride of ownership, feeling of, 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 of you know, just the, the pride of owning a home. I already said it, pride of ownership. So if you own a home versus renting, but usually most people buy a home because they, they want to have more rooms. They don't, they don't want to have a landlord tell them what to do. And the other main reason for owning a home is the long-term appreciation. I'm not going to talk about it much more. I've already talked about it, I think, on another show. But the rent versus own is, is in my opinion, a myth. You really need to, 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 to look at your own circumstances and figure out whether it makes sense. Another, another one that's a myth that drives me nuts is the starter home. And I, I know I talked about this on another show, but get a home today that's, say, less than what you really want to own, and then three years from now or five years from now, go buy the home you want. Well, unless you move to a different area where home prices are lower, you're not going to catch up. You're better off sucking it up now and making a slightly higher payment, and I can show you the numbers on that for a couple of reasons. One is, if the, go ahead, Eric. Isn't the idea behind that, though, that you'll progress in your employment, in your career, you'll start making more money? Potentially. Then when you make the more money, then you can catch up. Yeah, that's so a good speak. point. It's, it's not necessarily about the, the housing values. It's about your personal life. Well, you know what? It's a good thing that we have two people in the studio today because, yes, that's correct. <laughs> okay. <laughs> there are some. Okay. But from a number standpoint, if a person comes to me and says, I simply can't afford the other house, I don't see my ability to afford it. That's a good time to consider. But I often say, then, here's what you should do. Buy a townhome or condo, mm. turn it into a rental property. And here's why. The problem with buying a home and then selling it in four to five years is that it's high risk. You may lose money. Sure. And there's high expenses to get in and out of it. So if you, if you really want to own a home and you want to take advantage of appreciation over years and the, and the fact your mortgage is going down, get a home today that's even smaller than you want to live in and think of that as a true starter home. Just replace your apartment with a condo townhome. Try to keep the payment the same. Turn it into a rental. And then go buy that house you really want if your income and other, you know, your career path is taken on a tangent. These are all individual decisions, but that's a that's one plan that I sometimes suggest. Yeah, I think that's always something to consider, whether you're moving from uh, a house or a condo uh turning it into a rental property rather than selling it, Yeah. Um, especially if you're at a time when the market is not booming like it is now. That's a challenge. That's this right. is a great way to uh, pay that mortgage uh, without you know the extra bill each month. The biggest challenge for that is people say, well, then I've got all my equity in that condo. And again, it's case-by-case basis. But the idea of a starter home needs to be looked at just as carefully as rent versus own. Mm-hmm. Every situation is different. Um, another one that I've heard for years, everybody's heard this, location, location, location. 
And that one drives me nuts. People say that's the most important thing of the value of a home. And I, and I can show, let's just take two examples. I don't care what location your house was when you bought a home in the summer of 2007. By 2010, it dropped 30%. I would say you could replace location, location, location with timing, timing, timing. Or another one, this is not, how I, what word would I use? Um, yeah, I don't have a good word, but how long you hold the house? Longevity, longevity, longevity? Because mm-hmm. if you buy a house in a location that's not as good as another location, you're going to buy it for less anyway. Yeah. And you're going to, and so let's just say you buy a house in, look where you live, in, in Proctor. Sure. Beautiful area. But the house there that's equivalent to one in, in Bellevue, half as much. Right. Okay. You buy a million dollar house up here, it costs 500 there. These are rough numbers, okay? Mm-hmm. Well, you say, well, that location's worse. I say, well, yeah, but you get the house for, worse, for less to start with. Right. So who cares? So I that that's just that's one of those simple well, little some, sometimes with that location it goes from being, you know, less desired to suddenly being that's right. extremely desired. I've said this before on the show, I'll say it again. The most important thing in real estate is holding the property. Mm-hmm. If you can hold a property for 10 years or less, you probably are going to be okay. 1 to 5 years is just playing like playing craps. 5 to 10 years is a little risky, but hold it for 10 years. Um I listened to a radio show recently where the it was a real estate broker talking about something that got under my skin. <laughs> the perfect price. Well, you have to list the house at the perfect price. I wish somebody could figure out a formula to have the perfect price. Now, I don't know if she was like me. Sometimes I say things on the radio that, you know, I, I start talking. And it just blurbs out. But she said it so many times that I think she might really believe this. And the reality is there's no such thing. All you can do as a real estate broker and a consumer is determine what you think is the best estimate for what a home is worth. Is if, now let's go to the listing side. You're listing a house to sell. Obviously, you want two things. The highest possible price, not obviously, if, but most people, the highest possible price with as few contingencies for the buyer as possible. So how do you determine that price? There isn't a perfect price. You work on it. You figure it out. But the market is going to tell you what the pr- house is worth. Now, I am pr- I'm proud to say I got a story for you. So I made an offer on a house a couple weeks ago. Maybe a month ago, listed for five fifteen. I thought it was worth five twenty. I did I did my analysis. I use a I use a spreadsheet that I wrote that that I that I like. It works better, I think, than the the, the tools that the multiple listing gives the brokers. Uh, and it's it's something I feel very effective. And I said, hey, I think this house is worth five twenty. That's what I think it's gonna. That's what I think the market could bear. I think that's what it'll appraise for. Uh, we offered five hundred five. Got the house for five ten. The appraisal came in at five twenty. So there you go. Now, does that mean I do that all the time? No, but I'm pretty close. Now, it's because of the tools I use. But the bottom line, there is no perfect price. The house I just mentioned that was listed for five fifty, another house that was listed for five fifteen, they dropped it to four ninety, and we got it for four eighty five. I would have thought I would. I think that house is going to appraise in the five ninety to five hundred. I mean, four ninety to five hundred range. I would not be surprised if it appraised for five hundred. Don't know why it didn't sell for that, but that's what I think it's going to appraise for. Now, there's a difference between what an appraisal is, a house appraises for and what you can actually sell it for. So what is an appraiser's job? An appraiser's job is to tell a lender that the price of the house that you're buying is reasonable based on other comparable sales. They're called comps. It's not the appraiser's job to tell you what the house is worth. In fact, in most cases, appraiser will say it's worth whatever you're paying for it. Why? Because that's their job. Now, the case I just mentioned, the story about how my client got it for five ten. The appraiser five twenty. That's unusual. Usually, if it comes in higher than the actual purchase price, it's worth even more than what it appraises for because the appraiser is being conservative. But there's no magic formula. There's not a bunch of X's and, or ones and zeros. That, this is what a house is worth. You have twenty thousand opinions about what a house is worth. What a buyer and seller are willing to, to transact the price is that's what it's worth. So, the appraisal on a refinance is slightly different, though. So the appraiser refinances your house, and there's no comparable. There's no purchase contract. You don't have somebody saying, "I'm willing to pay five ten for this house." So how does the appraiser uses the same formulas? Looks at comparable sales. Da da da. But in a house that uh, that on a refi might come in, and sometimes, especially in a rising, uh, appreciated market, will come in lower than what you can really sell it for because they don't have a buyer, a willing buyer who is saying, I'm willing to pay for this. Now, let's see. Uh, oh, here's a little tip. When you go out to look at homes, don't wear lace-up shoes. Wear slip-ons. 
It's easier to get it out of the house. Instead of having to put those stupid little booties on, you slip your shoes on and off. That's a little tip that I sometimes forget to tell people. Uh, okay. Oh, here's something. If you're listing a house, in my opinion, your listing broker should go out and physically visit the active homes that are on the market that are competing with you, and if possible, get into the pending sales. Sometimes you can. Of course, they can't get into solds. Why is that? Because most listing brokers, and I do this too, I get online and I use the pictures of homes that are on the market or have recently sold to get an idea how your home compares in quality and condition. But pictures are very deceptive. You can walk into a house that's had pictures done and it looks like the house was just remodeled yesterday and you walk in, the carpet's, it's, it's, it's um, you know, what is the word? When it gets loose, you know, like how it needs to be stretched. Fraying, fraying apart. Yeah, yeah. There's just all kinds. And, and there are, they do touch up on some of these too. I, I had a listing once where we were putting a lawn in and it wasn't done yet. So I had the guy put a lawn in. On, on the photo. Okay, uh-huh. that, was, that wasn't unfair because three or four days later I had a lawn in there. But if right. you'd driven by that day, you would have seen a bunch of rocks and dirt. Mm. Now, I don't know how many other homes have this kind of stuff done to it. But I suspect when I look at pictures, then I walk into the house later. So why is this important? Because your listing broker clearly has to get a good feel for what your house is, is compared to in the other houses. And they should do that work. It depends upon how, you know, where your house is located, time, energy, how much they're charging you for a listing commission, that sort of thing. Uh, two quick other stories. Okay, just a real quick story. If you're, whoever you have, is, if you're selling a house, how much time we have? we got about 90 seconds. Nice, okay. Here's a quick story. Don't reveal your client's motivation to the other party. Oftentimes when I'm bringing a buyer in to buy a house, the seller will say, well, tell me about your buyer. Or when somebody's making an offer on my house, tell me about your seller. And this is what I say. You know, I don't want to be difficult. But I, as a general rule, unless it will clearly benefit my client, I don't say anything about my client's motivation or situation. I don't want you to have any tools for negotiating. And I had this happen. An offer I just made recently, the seller disclosed something. I mean, the, the listing broker disclosed something to me about the seller. It, it, it proved to me that they were highly motivated, and we got the house for less than I think market value. I'm not saying she's a bad person, but loose lips sink ships. And so your listing or buying broker should have a policy, and you better ask them about it. If somebody asks you what my motivation is, what am I doing, they should have an answer, which is something along, I'm not going to tell you, unless there's a clear reason to that will benefit you. Okay, well, we about run out of time here? Yeah, and we've got about 15 seconds, but if you don't mind... Uh, I looked up soup to nuts since we didn't have a know-it-all <laughs> caller. Uh, and, you know, it's derived from the description of a full-course dinner in which courses progress from soup to dessert of nuts, comparable to expressions <laughs> in other langu- languages, such as the uh, Latin phrase that translates to from the egg to the apples. So, Oh, I'm going to put that one in my show now, from, from eggs to apples. Thank you, Wikipedia. <laughs> and <laughs> thank, thank you, you Greg. Well, thank you for listening to Home Talk Today, the show where we cover everything from eggs to apples. We air each Tuesday from 3 to 4 on 1150kknw.com. Please, please, not peas, please feel free to call me off air at 206-250-6545. Next Tuesday on June 4th, I will have a person in talking about how the block change phenomenon, or whatever you want to call it, the block change technology might change the real estate industry. Thanks. Have a great week.